0: film society of lincoln center you are listening to the close-up this week we're sharing a highlight from this year's rendezvous with french cinema which concluded on march 10th in addition to presenting a slate of films showcasing the variety and vitality of contemporary french filmmaking the festival also featured several live discussions bringing together some of the artists involved to talk about their craft and the state of the industry in our filming abroad panel a selection of French and American artists met to discuss a rapidly globalizing film community and the ethics of filming abroad. The discussion was moderated by our deputy director, Eugene Hernandez, and featured Eva Husson, Laura de clermont Tonnerre, Brady Corbett, and Jean-Stéphane Sauvaire. Let's go to that now.
1: Good evening, good evening. In the case of um, Laura and uh, Jean-Stéphane, we have films that are opening theatrically in this country very soon, right? Um, I think Pr- Prayer Before Dying is opening, um, and all three, yes, we have Prayer Before Dying opening next week. Prayer Before Dawn, sorry, when is it? It opened already, I'm sorry. Yeah,
2: it opened like August, yeah, August 10 or something, yeah.
1: The one, I'm sorry, I might have miss, missed up my notes. It's Eva
2: film no it's, yeah. Eva, when maybe. does your
1: film open? Uh, it's gonna open in Okay, so one month, and that's coming soon from it's Media. Cohen Media. Yeah, it's April the 12th. Um, Brady, your film, your most recent film, Vox Lux, obviously opened at the end of last year, but I think it's actually available on various platforms now, so people can take a look at that. Um, and Laura, um, I, your film is probably the one I've seen most recently. Uh, the Mustang is opening on the fifteenth, which is next week, from Focus Features. Mm-hmm. Congratulations!
0: Thank you.
1: Um, I feel like the I feel like the um, framework for this conversation that was created by uh, Unifrance and uh, Friends Mo- uh, in Motion was is really helpful to give us a starting point for this conversation. And one of the ideas is really to to restate the kind of um, Uh, concept for this discussion uh, that we have in front of us. Um, We're going to explore what are the challenges and implications of adapting a story uh, that inhabits a different point of view. We'll dig into that. Uh, What does it take to master issues that are anchored in a different country or culture uh, than the one you were born into, and how do you legitimize that process? Um, So I want to thank, again, French in Motion and UNIFRANCE for uh, giving us a framework through which we can discuss all of these films uh, today. Um, I don't know who wants to start, but I, but I like the question that we've posed in the description, which is this idea of the, I'm going to sort of take the second uh, part of it first, but um, the challenges and implications of adapting a story that inhabits a different point of view. Um, and as part of that question, I think I also want to know sort of how you think about what it means to inhabit a different point of view or, or whether that different point of view is something that feels very organic for you as a, as a creator, as a writer, whether that's a writer, a producer, or a director. So maybe we can start with this idea of inhabiting a different point of view as you enter into um, an exploration of, of a story you're going to explore. Um, in the case of each of you, I would I don't know where we want to start, but I think we can talk about each of your films in Brady, we can talk about your previous film, Child of a Leader. Um I think that could also be a way into the discussion, but we can also talk about Fox Lux in terms of different point of view, unless you've been a rock star that I don't know about but, <laughs> um, but what what is this idea of different point of view? How does that resonate with with each of you on the panel? Um, I am mean, I'm looking at. Uh, Eva and Brady just to to clarify just out of curiosity when you say different point of view in in what sense well the idea for us I think is also about filming abroad and sort of inhabiting uh, a culture that may be different from your own so a cultural point of view I think we want to get to that but I think it could also we can also take a half step Back from that, because I think it could be different point of, points of view related to not just culture it could be gender it could be sort of a world outside of your own or maybe a world that you've explored but you are um, trying to sort of explore more deeply <clears throat> right if that makes sense sure that makes sense
3: I mean I mean of course usually um, every story you tell you're inhabiting a, a different point of view so um I think that of of course there are things there are stories which are closer to your life experience um, uh, than than others. Um, I mean, so far I've never made anything that was very close to my my life experience. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, but 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 yeah, I, I think that it's uh, every every film comes with its own. Um, set, of, set of problems and and complications and, and things that you, <laughs> these sort of obstacles that you set up for yourself that you hope to overcome. Mm-hmm. I mean, because when you're in the process of conceiving something, you, you go, that's gonna be almost impossible, let's, do, let's try and do it. Um, and I think that uh, shooting in, in a place that you're not that familiar with, or in a language that you do not speak, uh, is is one of those great obstacles. Like, oh my God, you know, can we find a child, uh, a child actor that can pull this role off? Or like, oh my God, you know, am I going to be able to convince somebody to give me $10 million? It's the same, it's the same kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I actually, I, I shot my first film uh, in Hungary and my last film I shot here in New York. And I found it much easier to work uh, somewhere else than than I did at home, uh, for a variety of of, of reasons. Mm. But uh, I mean, we can talk about that later. But sure, sure, sure. but um, I, I it, it ended up being less of an obstacle and actually something more inspiring in a way because you're walking around, seeing everything for the first time, and you know you, you have a sort of uh, child's view of the place. You know,
1: my, my guess is that for for many artists, um, the idea of finding something that might seem to an audience or from a description to be very different from your own experience probably still has aspects of it that resonate with your own experience because you're probably bringing your own, um, you're putting your own imprint on it, you're bringing your own experience to those characters that might seem foreign, but actually probably have a strong connection to you. I wonder that in the case of your film.
4: I, actually, yeah, that, that's a good point in, in my film. Um, for those who don't know the story, it's uh, very briefly uh, the story of a battalion of women, uh, Kurdish women who get captured by ISIS, become sex slaves and escape and become fighters. So, obviously, I have no experience in fighting or with sex slavery, personally. Uh, I have uh, no experience in Kurdish or the Kurdish culture. However, what I do have is, you know... And that, I guess that's, that's what you do as a filmmaker. You're like, how can I relate to that? And can, how can my own experience make it make the audience relate to the movie? I'm a woman, obviously... Um and I'm bicultural, I'm half Spanish. Uh, my grandfather was himself uh, a soldier in, during the Spanish Republic, and I was, you know, I was brought up with stories of fighting for an idealism and, and for democracy. And all of this um made that I felt at home with the story, and I I just very humbly went to Kurdistan and uh Went to see the women and and collected their words and, and their testimonies and tried to be as faithful as I could all along the way, trusting my instincts as a filmmaker, as a woman, and as myself, Eva Usson. I had consultants all over the, the you know the process because on top of it I'm I'm you know, I guess I'm an activist in a way, and I was extremely aware of the post-colonial uh, issues about, you know, telling a story of, of a culture that was not mine and where I could have sort of impressed some Western, you know, um, projections onto. And I, I had consultants all the time to, you know, flag me where that could pop up and so that I made sure, you know, the best I could obviously, uh, that it didn't happen.
1: Eva, were you surprised about the places where... or Maybe share with us um, your response to the places where you felt a connection to the women whose lives you were exploring, whose stories you were exploring, and also the places where you completely found a complete difference between you and the people that you were working with. The first
4: similarity, I guess, was when I encountered the story of these women. Um, I had been aware of the story of Yazidi women who had been enslaved, and I... You know, as a person reading the newspaper, I always felt the need to just p- put that at a distance because it was so hard. And the first time I came across the story that not only had they been enslaved, they had, you know, stood up and become fighters, I, as, as a woman, I was like, fuck, you know, those stories are never told. They, they, you know, we, women are always mostly shown as victims in those occasions. And they don't accept that condition. And they stand up for themselves. And I want to convey that, because it moved me. And if it moved me in like a paragraph, how powerful can it be to do that in a fiction where I can really go in, tep- in depth and show the whole emotional journey of these women? So that was the main um, bond that I have with the story, and that, that always kept me focused on what I needed to do. Um, in terms of the differences, Uh, I guess I learned a lot, you know, uh, for example, Kurdish society is is, um, a high intensity society. It's really based on the importance of the collective, which is the opposite of uh, Western society where the individual, you know, is the important um, uh, person in in the equation. And that makes a whole world of a difference in terms of reactions and how people react and what's important in terms of um, scale of values. And always, you know, kept that in mind, you know, like, she's not a Westerner, you know. The collective is always more important, you know. Honor is always more important. It's not about you, it's not about getting out of it yourself. It's about the us. And that was very, you know, it, it was very um, interesting for me to learn from that as well, you know, as an individual.
1: Um, I'm going to go to Laura and then I'll go to, uh, to Jean-Stefan. I'm thinking, Laura, about... Um, I guess I'm thinking about how in your film, in in The Mustang specifically, I guess I should say, and asking you about sort of, you're inhabiting and exploring a world that um, might be considered foreign, and it's the American West. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very male environment, and yet I find that you're bringing a lot of, um, kind of a unique sensitivity to your approach to explore this, um, what might be, considered from on the page a very macho kind of environment. Um, I wonder how, how you were drawn to that. And, and I appreciate that sensitivity that you bring to uh, a, a world that, might, that could have been looked at very differently.
5: Um, yeah, thank you. I, uh, I mean, the, the, for the Mustang, it's about a convict who's dealing with strong um, anger issue. And I am not American. I'm not a man. I've never been in prison. I am not violent. I don't think so. But I definitely relate to this character in a very, very deep, personal way, and I feel that uh, I always got very scared of entrapment. It's kind of my repetitive obsession right. of, you know, trying to just be, um, I'm scared of imprisonment, I'm scared of being a little bit like, claustrophobic. Anyway, so I felt that there's something very personal that I needed to tell through this story. Mm-hmm. And then uh, exploring the West and anchoring the film in this prison in Nevada, um, and playing with all the codes of Western and, uh, and, um, and prison film, uh, this is where I kind of did a lot of research and met a lot of inmates. And what I felt being a woman in that world, uh, it, where I think I got very um, uh, advantaged in a way, is that they would open themselves much more to me, I feel. Um, but if I was a man, there's mm-hmm. something about all the secret and all the stories that they would share and that deepened so much to the, the the character and the mm-hmm. story that I felt that the lack of judgment and also because they didn't really used to open themselves so much to a woman. Mm-hmm. There is something like um, I was the only woman so I was really like <laughs> just being surrounded. I think they liked being vulnerable with me. I uh-huh. think they like it. sometimes they would say ah I feel like I'm a little kid. Again, there's something very uh, yeah. um, deep in, 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 in their sensibility that they would share and that makes actually this film uh, uh, very tender.
1: And, and conversely, were there areas that you had to overcome or were there aspects of that relationship that you had to overcome with these guys in sort of getting to that vulnerable place? Um, or maybe you can share with us any hurdles that you found in, in sort of being let in or, or building that trust so that they could let their guard down and share in this experience with you?
5: It took years. It yeah. took years of research, going uh, a lot in this prison in Nevada and in San Quentin in California. Um, uh, it was a huge work uh, in process, and it was not in one or two times. It was in mm-hmm. 10 times. And I finally got three of them to be in the film, and they actually, uh, when they came, in, came on board, they, they, they trust they had a full of trust, and I, I could feel that they were um, completely open to, to to dive into their characters, and uh, and but, but that, that was built like for five years.
1: And there's this parallel story in your film of these guys who are who are in prison who are struggling with uh, with with being there or maybe getting out of prison, paralleled with these wild horses, these mustangs who are who they are developing a relationship with. Um, I don't mean it as a joke, but what about the challenges of navigating the animals in the film? Because there's yes. just as, there's just as much of a parallel story of these guys being broken with as there is with these horses being broken. It's it's such a core aspect of the film.
5: Yes, there's definitely a strong identification. Of um, uh, do you mean like working with those animals? Sure, yeah, just, just um,
1: kind of <laughs> developing that trust with them as well. I know they're trained animals, obviously, but, but trained, for you... but
5: we, we wanted to have real Mustangs. And so <laughs> I mean, they were, we had like three similar horses for, the, for the, the main character. One very well-trained, one semi-wild, and one completely wild and untouchable uh-huh. uh, that we used only for stunts. And we had real wild mustangs, and then we had like uh, very well-trained horses for scenes like in the during the storm and uh, But they were very disciplined, much more than the men, I have to say. It was kind of like <laughs> it was. I, I was I was anticipating that, uh, working with so much horses in 23 days. It felt completely impossible. But I, I, yeah, surprisingly, I didn't have to complain at all about horses, much more about the men. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Um, uh, Jean-Stefan, I wanted to ask you uh, about your, uh, your first feature. Um, and I wanted to ask about, you, you were adapting um, a novel um, by a Congolese writer. Can you maybe give us a little bit of context about how you found that story? And kind of with this same line of questioning, what, what was it that, 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 that kind of uh, jumped out of the page for you that made you want to explore this story?
2: No, I mean I realized when you asked the first question you know that every film I did I needed to connect with the film and with the character Yeah and your question made me realize that I always shot in different countries but never in France so my first short film was in uh, an airport in Paris in Roissy so I was always on the way <laughs> <laughs> the Second short was in Colombia yeah. the third short film was in Mexico City yeah. then I did my first feature documentary in Colombia and oh. then this film Johnny Mad Dog in Liberia Yeah and then I did a film for Arte in, in France, so nobody's perfect. I had to, I wanted to shoot the film here, but I had to shoot in Paris because okay. of Arte or whatever. And then I did this film in Thailand, and now I'm preparing this film in New York. So it's weird because I have the feeling I need to connect with the story every time, and yeah. all these characters can really relate to me. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not a French guy, and it's not, you know, shooting in Paris. So I don't know, I have to think about it, but maybe well, there's something behind this. But, that's uh, what
1: I'm curious about, without being uh, sounding like a psychologist. What, yeah, when you, lo- you are, because when you now lo- you
2: know, I'm fucked up with the question. <laughs> with, know, because,
1: like, 10 years of, uh, but when you look at your, your, your work, what does it tell us about you, uh, or about what intrigues you, I guess, is what I, I mean, really want to know. The,
2: the link with the films and stuff, it's always about childhood and violence, kind of, which relate to me. But so Johnny Dog was about child soldiers in Liberia. Uh, and the, the, the short films and stuff with kids also in different countries. Uh, and I feel the same kind of connection with some child soldiers in Liberia, even if it's a different culture. So it's sometimes you saw it's films for me, it's a way to express something from yourself, but you feel you can be shy at the beginning to say, okay, your own story or your own feeling. You want to portrait, you know, on film, so you f- try to find some mask maybe to tell your story in different ways. So the Child Soldiers was a way for me to tell my own story on my own childhood in a more fiction way. And it takes me like a few films to say, okay, hiding behind characters. Now I'm working on more something personal. Mm-hmm. But I think going like this in different countries is a way to express something and maybe having a mask that nobody can see through. So a distance, I don't know if it's a distance because I like also to immerse myself. Yeah, between the, with the fiction, yeah. I like to immerse myself. I, mean, I, like to, uh, I don't have family, you know, for example, and I like every film to be a, a story, a life story. So I spent two years in Liberia with these kids. I spent two years in Thailand with the prisoners. I mean, yeah. it's every time it changed my life, but that's why I like to make this, this business, maybe, this job, to uh, experience some stuff. You know, and yeah. Movie, it's a way to experience uh, stuff. And, uh, and instead of going to see a psychanalyst or whatever, like uh, <laughs> it's a therapy as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So I wonder to what extent your colleagues on the panel um, reson- this resonates. What he's, what Stefan is saying. Um,
4: I, I completely relate to the what I was saying, the, the distance, um, because sometimes it's very hard to talk about what obsesses you in a very uh, direct <coughs> manner. So you take a story that looks from the outside very far away from you but you sort you of know, like put little little pebbles along the way that are yours, and that you really relate to that. Um, and I, I, wanted, I realized that I needed to add something quite important about Girls of the Sun, the, the, the movie about the Kurdish uh, soldiers, and it is that it's, um, I realized when I was doing the research that there hadn't been movies made about female, uh, female uh, soldiers. None. like, you know, there were always the exception or the one woman, you know, amongst men, which basically reinforced um, the notion that patriarchy ruled and that's what it had to happen to happen. And when I started um, working on that, I just realized the power of seeing women who just fend it for themselves, um, supported by the, the, the Kurdish men around them. You know, this is not against men. This is hand in hand. And I believe so profoundly in the power of um, watching stories that shape your uh, view of the world and, and the new generations coming across these new stories. And I, I felt that I, had, I wished I had seen that when I was a younger filmmaker or a younger woman. Um, and and I, I really like the idea of introducing a different point of view on something that is compl- classic, classically completely masculine. Which actually provoked some interesting reactions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it absolutely did, and, and one of the things I was thinking about in relation to your film Eva, which I saw at the Cannes Film Festival last year, um, was something that jean Stefan said. Uh, this idea of immersiveness or an immersive quality—your film had has the ability, had the ability—in my own case of watching it in in May in the south of France of transporting me to an entirely different world in such an immersive way of course it's partially in the way that you shoot it very up close very much in the experience of of what we're seeing on the screen but but I but I think about that in the context of of each of the films represented and each of the filmmakers represented here because I think there is In addition to this uh, ability to transport or to explore a different culture, different world, different place, um, this ability to immerse your audience in something that they maybe never would have thought to explore or a place to go a place they never would have thought to go. Um,
3: I was joking earlier with Lore about um uh, when I when I saw Je- jean stefan on on the panel I was like I think I got invited to the wrong panel because because jean stefans going to talk about his experience in Thailand, Liberia and I'll be like well you know I was in the 13th district of Budapest <laughs> It's not that nice <laughs> Um you, you know I I I think it's um yeah, I mean, I, I I haven't I've seen your previous movie, *Sabangang*, which I like very much, but I haven't seen your new film. Um, but um, these are much more uh, ex- extreme scenarios. And *Lours*, also, I mean, working uh, as a young French woman with with uh, uh, I mean, a lot of the actors in your film are not actors; they're prisoners, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that are part of the program. And so, it's amazing to for me to imagine you in in, in Nevada working with these. <laughs> would have laughed and these so prisoners. much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but
3: but. Uh, but yeah, I I I um my my experience
1: was more bleak than dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but even even in, in Vox Lux shooting in mostly New York, um transporting your audience to a place that maybe we might imagine in a certain way, the the private life of a pop star and seeing a much more uh, dark and and Scary. Um, the only and, person and that was
3: scary was my financier. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was about it.
1: You survived that. I I,
3: I, I live think. I live to tell the tale. And uh, um, you know I, I mean look shooting 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 in New York, um, or 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 shooting in America I would say in general is extremely frustrating if you've shot anywhere else um, for for a variety of reasons. Um, first of all, you there's all of these fucking lawyers everywhere they're like like hey um you know i j- just so you know like you know, someone's always pointing at a watch or a contract or or, or something that is going to totally fuck up your whole day and, um, and 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 actually when when you're shooting in 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 western central eastern europe there's it's actually quite supportive it's like a s- cineast sort of community and and here, you know, you, you, get, you get treated like you're, you know, like a pedophile, like it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> and so it's, it's very, there, there's so many, there's so many uh, rules and restrictions. And, and I, I, you know, what I, 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 so was so strange is that my first film, the budget was $4 million. And I shot it in 25 days with, with real freedom, nobody harassing me. And then I, 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 I come back home to America where I live. I live here in the city. And I, and I was like, oh, it's going to be so great. You know, my daughter goes to, to school in New York and it's going to, like, be this really peaceful time. And, and the film had a much bigger budget. And somehow, you know, $12 million later, I had three days less of production time. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, we shot the movie in 22 days, like, for no fucking reason. And, and, I, and I think that it, it was always because, like, you know, somebody billed you because, like, their car broke down, for three hours on the side of a highway in Hungary, uh, they would be like, like well, I'm sorry, like do you have a brother or something that can 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 can, 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 can show up on time um <laughs> so i i i found I found the experience of, of working here. I felt like a forerunner here because I felt like I was constantly asking for things that were very simple mm-hmm. and and suddenly there you know there's there's you know there's some, you know, uh, head of production who, in my case, th- th- was like a guy who had previously been the UPM of Expendables Three, and he was like, and he was like, you know, uh, look, I'm really sorry, but you can't have a slider, and I was like, a slider? I was like, you mean like a slider slider? Like, you mean like the six foot slider? Like, I can't have a slider, and he was, and and he was like, well, what do you need it for? You have a dolly. And, and I was like, I don't know, I was like, you know, just in case we don't wanna like set up a dolly track to like move the camera three or four inches. Um, but the whole, the whole experience the whole experience w- was, was like that. So, so the thing was is that after working with European co-productions, I was so frustrated. I was like, oh my God, I just wanna go back to America where things are simpler. And then I came, and I came back here and it was a total nightmare. And so now I'm making my next movie in Central Europe again, even though it takes place in Philadelphia. <laughs>
5: I, I also had, like, a, I mean, a nightmare experience with the unions. I, I had, like, listened to horrible stories about unions coming on your set and just, like, shutting everything down. And I was like, okay, but it always happened to the others. You know, you don't believe that one day it will happen <coughs> to you uh, until it happens. So uh, second day, first day of shooting, everyone's so happy. Uh, I can feel, like, a, a amazing positive energy. Second day of shooting, the unions are here at the door and asking for everyone to leave. The problem was like a huge production mistake. We should have never been non-union, but we were non-union, and it was a huge, huge uh, mistake. And uh, they put pressure on half of our crew. And then I could see everyone leaving in front of me, wrapping up and leaving. And I'm so sorry, but because uh, they put pressure on, I mean... You can be blacklisted. Anyway, I, I completely understand like, the pressure that they had on their shoulders. So everyone left. So I was kind of like you know, trying to, to grab them. Please stay. Please, 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 please. No, don't leave me. Don't leave me. And, and for two days, we had to stop the shooting. So when you're waiting for five years to make your film and the second day of shooting, everyone is shutting down. It's kind of like, you know, you just, I was like, I, I want to go back home. <laughs> But, at the end, I mean everything worked out, but uh, yeah, we had to pay
4: if I may um uh <laughs> chime in um it's it's not rosy outside either. I shot in the states, I shot in France, and I shot in georgia and uh I've had very tough experiences in 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 the three places uh in France, it's just you know, whatever you ask, like, it's not possible. And, uh, you know, it's a fucking nightmare to get anything done. <laughs> and uh, and you're like, come on, you know, a little bit of enthusiasm there, you know. The French um, psyche is a little bit like, oh, we'll never make it and blah, blah, blah. So that, that's one cultural thing. I in New York unions, uh, fucking nightmare, um, you know. And I will probably try to avoid New York like the plague. And uh, all my friends' filmmakers just say that, you know, New York is the last place you want to shoot, basically.
3: Good luck, Jean-Stefan. <laughs> his, his his movie, which starts very soon, is a New New York, New exactly. York movie.
4: But Georgia, Georgia was actually... Um, you know, quite um, flowery as well, uh, if I may say so. I had a costume designer who was completely out of his league, like just completely lost. We did not have the main costumes for the movie literally five hours before starting the shoot. And it was a war movie. So, you know, it was all uniforms, had nothing. Uh, he was still dyeing them with tea bags in a kitchen <laughs> until my producer just screamed at him. He <laughs> was like, "Get this shit done now." <laughs> so I don't know what happened. I was like, "I'm gonna decide this is gonna resolve itself by tomorrow morning," and that's what you do. And suddenly, you know, they appeared. But then, you know, uh, it was a war movie with weapons, and we were supposed to receive the support of the Georgian army. We filed the request request five months prior, you know, just in time, tip top. <laughs> Two days before the shoot, we had nothing—not a single weapon for a war movie. <laughs> You know, and uh, same thing. I was like, I'm just going to breathe and it's going to be fine. And they, they showed up and then, you know, they showed up and some more because we had like suddenly tanks and panzers. <laughs> and I was like, OK, <laughs> great. So it's it's um, I, I hear the thing about the union, but uh, God, I, I just don't think there's any place where it's that easy <laughs>
1: yeah my takeaway is that filming filming sucks everywhere basically it's, it's a pain um, uh, what I want to do is because we have so many filmmakers in the audience um, I think we've laid a foundation with a number of different threads that we could explore and for the last like 15 or 20 minutes really give uh, any of the filmmakers or anyone in the audience a chance to sort of delve in more deeply into some of these specific topics or we could go in a different direction as well. If you have a question, raise your hand. We have a microphone so that we can hear your question on our podcast and on the, on the recording of this.
0: Uh, this is for Brady. What made you decide to shoot in Hungary for Childhood of a Leader?
3: Um. It was mostly the decision of my production designer, who's a guy named jean vincent Pouzos, who is a real, real genius. I mean, uh, of all the people I've ever worked with in my life, I I, I learned the most from from this man. Um, He... um, uh, It it, it was because of the requirements of the season, the landscape. Um, One big thing for us was the fact that we were shooting on celluloid so there were two labs that there's actually still two labs in budapest so it made it cost effective that we didn't have to ship the neg around um and uh and then the other thing is is that there's an extraordinary um uh tradition uh a uh, uh, cinematic tradition in in hungary um you know miklos yang show's uh, son was my editor on the film um it was you you're you're working with very, very good crews. I mean the the really the the, the best uh, uh, gaffers and 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 steady cam operators, et cetera. So uh, for for all of those reasons, Hungary. I mean, and for my experience, I know people that have had tough times shooting there. I had a very positive one.
6: Um for Eva, um, Your film, which was very well done. But that's not really saying much, but it, it was very well done. It um, took me back to the spanish civil war and 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 also the Ethiopian campaign, especially the diaries and and the pictures that were taken. and um, the the way that children were treated, it was it was traumatic because the Italians did the same uh, in uh, in Ethiopia, and there was absolutely uh, no um, uh, Nuremberg or anything in typical Italian fashion. So what I was th- without as I was watching the film, I kept on um, uh, asking myself, um, what sort of, um, um, did you make a point to make this a Kurdish movie or did you look for certain sceneries? uh, Because, I mean, we could have been in in Catalonia or we could have been in in Eritrea or did you try to um, create an archetype when it came to the various sceneries and also the... um, um, you did a very good job in uh, portraying the certain uh, uh, trauma of, uh, of war in the faces of the, the young women.
4: Thank you. Um, I When I went to Kurdistan, one of the things I was trying to do is to go back to the source of uh, their story, meaning uh, I didn't want to rely on what I, uh, what, I had see, what I had seen, sorry, on documentaries or pictures, because I know these countries are very diverse, Iraq and Syria, you know, you have very desertic places and you have very um, green um, landscapes somewhere else. So when I went to Northern Kurdistan, I realized that, you know, all the images I had uh, were just I had to throw out the window because it was mountains and 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 grass and, you know, sun. and But it was cold. It was not this uh, image we have of, for example, Iraq, where it's just dry in the desert. That's in the south, and that's literally another country. Um, so when I was traveling throughout Georgia to make sure that the country was OK, I was hoping to find similar uh, landscapes, and and then I saw uh, the main mountain that you see in the movie, and I saw this abandoned place. Georgia uh, had suffered war 10 years prior with the Russians, so that made the crew very attuned to what we were doing, and... uh, Really, they push the extra mile to make things happen. So, for example, that was a very tough logistical choice because it was five hours outside the main city. And unlike Hungary, um, Georgia, you know, it's a place where everybody works three jobs because you can't make a living as a filmmaker. So, you know, you're, you know, you paint buildings, and then you're a gaffer, and then you know, you're a costume designer at the same time. So. Um, You know, the fact that we had to displace everybody because there was no local crew meant a considerable um, amount of money had to go there, which, you know, uh, sort of prevented us from getting other things. But I thought that it was the core of the um, aesthetic, uh, you know, color of the movie. You know, those mountains and the fact that you can... Even when you suffer through war, my, my take on war is that um, the people who fight it fight for life. You know, they don't they don't want to die, and they try to see life as much as they can. And when you have a landscape that is that intensely beautiful, it, it recharges you. And and when I talk to the fighters, you know, I I realize that, for example, you never fight a war like twelve hours a day. It's not a twelve-hour-a-day job it's you you spend so much adrenaline that usually the fights are two hour, two three hours long and five hours when you have a very intense thing and then everybody goes to eat and you know chat and then you know at night you have nothing to do so you go dancing uh, go dancing you know what I mean like you dance around the fire but um, and so all that became part of the landscape like the emotional landscape and the actual landscape.
0: Um, it was really interesting hearing all the different emotional experiences around about making your films, and the, I guess how hard it is to make a film in today's world.
2: I just wonder what you, everyone, think about the distribution of your films, and um, are you happy with the process of distribution? And I guess do, do you believe that the current distribution model works for your movies?
4: I was very, for example, uh, I, you know, the Kurdish like half Kurdish, half French. Um, at the beginning, it was like. I'm making this movie because I feel it's right, but I can't expect anything, you know, in terms of distribution or uh, worldwide rights. And at Cannes and Berlin, uh, the Berlin before Cannes, we sold the world rights. So it's basically, it was bought all over the world. And I've been traveling since the beginning of September to countries, like I do like two, three countries per month. and that just gives you hope in terms of stick to what feels right for you. And maybe it won't happen, but at least you did it for the right reasons. And when it does happen, it feels even more right. But we all make movies with like such risks, you know. Um, you can I, I think this is a fundamental thing that I never tell you in film school you should always feel completely centered about the story that you're doing and, and you should always feel sure that you won't mind wasting 5 years of your life because it really nurtures you whatever happens with it you can't make a movie with you know like dollar signs in your head uh, as the end product yeah, you want an audience, but you, you can't know. Like, there's no guarantee. Like, this is not a guaranteed job. So if you go for the guarantee, you know, like, you know, working in a shop is a better outcome. But filmmaking is about t- taking risks. And believe me, it, the violence of the profession is insane. So you'd better just, you know, be okay with that. But I, al-
3: but I also find the idea of an audience being like kind of an abstract notion, right? Like for me, I don't know what the difference is between a million dollars and a billion dollars, really. Like I don't, I can't, it's not a tangible quantifiable thing for me because I've never had a million dollars and I've certainly never had a billion dollars. So when somebody tells me 10,000 people saw your movie or 25,000 people saw your movie, I'm like, that sounds amazing, you know, that's a lot of people. And you know, I mean, nowadays I suppose because of social media and stuff, like we have a, maybe a more of a, of a sense of what, the, the difference between 30,000, 40,000 and a million. But I mean, who cares, right? Like you want like good friends, like you don't want a lot of them. So I feel really like that the, the relationship is all about touching specific people, not everybody. Um, I mean, I wouldn't know how to touch everybody. you know, I, I, it's impossible. and And I think that that it's very dangerous when when you start from the inception of something, thinking about how it's going to be received. because I mean, what a letdown if you spend several years, you know, really with your your eye on the prize of a million viewers or or four million viewers or whatever. Um, or more, um, and then it doesn't work out. And if that's sort of what you base your, the, your self-worth on, it's like impossible, uh, especially nowadays where there's so much content, like there's so much stuff. Like I used to see ev- everything. And part of the reason I don't see everything now is because I also you know, I'm a father now, and, I, and I'm busy. But, but, I, but I, I still try to see everything, but it's impossible. Yeah. Because there's just too, there's too much stuff. There's too many people making things.
4: <laughs> and we're proud of the problem.
3: Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and the turnaround is so quick. Exactly. Like, no, it to- totally. Like, everything... The thing is, there's less and less money for, for cinema especially. So now, things that they used to give you, like, you know, uh, 12 months to do... Like, my movie went into pre-production in... Uh, my last movie went into pre-production in this December of 2017, and then it was released in December of 2018. So like, which is really, really uncommonly fast. So it's, there's just a, there's a lot, the, the, everything's sped up. And, and I think we're all just trying to keep up with it.
1: I wonder, uh, jean Stefan and Laura, what you think of this question of, of audience, how that factors into your own decision-making or this notion of distribution. How, how do you relate to either
2: what you're hearing or just dis- no, I mean, see difference? Uh, just after you can explain, Laura, but I know where <laughs> the question is coming from. Uh, It's really like I think Fabian tried to find a different way to release film and not just cinema or digital or whatever, but I have the feeling people know they expect something different from cinema and maybe we have a moment, as you said, there's a lot of stuff, too too much stuff or whatever. So Fabian tried to find a way to release film in different ways is uh, he, doing this program, which is a uh, secret cinema, so where you immerse really the audience, you know, into the film instead of just, you know, for us releasing the film and see what's going to happen, you know, trying to find also different places where we can release films.
7: Um, if you had to shoot in New York again,
1: how would you? What would you do differently, or how would you start? Would you get a better production manager, or deal with the unions in a different way? What would be the the optimum no, way I in-
3: I I honestly have no idea. I I, I don't know. I, I know that I I all all I learned from the last experience was that I needed to do the opposite of what I did. And and I and the, but but that's how things are made, right? Like so every time you make a project, you do something in reaction to the previous project. So if you do something very intimate, then sometimes you feel like I want to do something that has a much much grander scale, etc. Um I I I think that there's... The thing is, is that as much of a pain in the ass as it is to shoot in New York, shooting in New York is a privilege. It is a cinematic, beautiful, extraordinary city. And, and I, I really tried to milk it for all it was worth. Um, but it was... Uh, and, and New York was like kind of a character in the film. And so um, I didn't really have an option. So I think that if you don't have an option, you just deal with it. And, you know, you just deal with it.
7: So, Stefan, your films seem very much close to uh, nonfiction and fiction, something that you wrote. There's a line where you don't know if you wrote it or if those actors actually just happen to do those things, and you're like, oh, keep doing that. And that's why I think your movies are so special. They seem so indelibly real. Um, does that happen when you work in a place like Africa or Thailand, which seem very you know, separate from Europe or here. So you're there making these movies, and do you all of a sudden see things while you're shooting, or your process to go cast these movies in such third-world countries, do you find it to be so different than making a movie in France or, you know? In
2: France or wherever, I don't know, because I shot mostly uh, abroad. And the casting, mostly, you know, I did it by myself because I need to find, I'm obsessed by reality and being real. And so the, you know, Liberia, for example, I had to find former child soldiers. So I spent like two years in this country seeing like all the guys in a period before and it's only like uh, gang members, former prisoners, to get this sense of authenticity. And I can't imagine shooting this film. For example, Liberia, I was supposed to shoot, uh, they asked me to shoot in Senegal. And I say, I can't because Senegal, you know, there is no war in Senegal and and why I shouldn't shoot in Liberia. So it was kind of difficult because you can't. It was the first film ever shot in this country. You don't have insurance covering the film, so it's a pain in the ass. But I say, yeah, but the story is about child soldiers. So what what can I do in in Senegal? And and I'm doing a program always with with actors, which is art therapy. So I'm working with these kids. and, And even if you do the opposite, if you have a Senegalese kid you know a- acting as a child soldier is even worse as the program you know art therapy with child soldiers playing uh, uh, their own kind of uh, trauma and releasing the trauma as they act because they can' control what they're doing So I'm always like it was the same program in Thailand and I did the same workshop in, uh, in prison in, uh, in Guatemala with uh, uh, gang members and stuff so, I need to shoot in the country where the story happened, with the people who know about the story, who have this kind of experience. And I had, for example, a, a project in... I was supposed to... They asked me to do the capture of Saddam Hussein like a few years ago, a film in Iraq, you know, and they found Saddam, you know, in the hall and stuff. So I said, "Wow, great, yeah, it's interesting. So I went to Iraq, I did all my researches. The production company said, there's no way you're gonna shoot in Iraq. I said, let's see. It. First, you know, I need for my researches. So I spent time, I went there. And I was in Tikrit, where the Saddam hometown, you know, and I was like, I found a way to sleep almost in his bed. So I said, it's perfect. I'm where the story happened. (laughs) And then I was figuring, I said, but the problem is the guy from Tikrit, if I do the casting in Baghdad, they're quite different. So I need to do the whole casting in (laughs) Tikrit. And then, uh, so I was struggling with all these kind of ideas and shooting some in Jordan as well for security reasons. It was a film with Robert Pattinson. But in some say, yeah, I want to come in, 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 in Iraq, you know, in Tikrit. I say, yeah, it's fine. You know, we are like in Saddam Hussein Palaces. So I had the helicopter. I talked to the Minister of Defense. Everything is set up. You know, we're going to shoot like one or two weeks in Saddam Palace. And then we're going to shoot the rest in Jordan. And then the production company said, "But you can't. You know, you have to shoot in uh, New Mexico. I said, I mean, <laughs> it was far away from I was expecting I said, and the cast, you know, because shooting in a different country, why not? But... The cast, the people, the Iraqi people. So they said, I don't know, you can you can find actors who look like Iraqi. I say, ah yeah. And they say, they mentioned the, the film, the Danny Boyd film, and they say, Have you seen this film in India? I say, Yeah, what do you mean? I mean the main actor maybe could be great. I say, but does he speak Arabic? I said, No, he's Indian. I say, So what the point? You know, so yeah, there's a name, you know, we can find Westman. I say, I mean. OK, I quit the film. <laughs> so I think shooting abroad and shooting in a country, it's also shooting with the people of the country. And, and if you tell a story about Thai people, in this case, or uh, shy soldiers or whatever, for me, it's a mark of respect you know, to shoot in this country, not trying to recreate something somewhere else. I mean, sometimes you have to security reasons, but it's more like working with the people that you tell the story about. If it's not your own, in a way, I mean, to portray this. Don't know if it's answered a question, but
1: and it's actually kind of building off that question that got asked to John Stefan specifically with uh, a prayer before dawn, which I loved. Um, how was it? Can you talk about the challenges of taking an actor like Joe Joe Cole, who's he's a really good actor, but he's kind of well known, and then sticking him and putting him in Thailand, um, and sort of being able to, I guess, meld him or have him fit into the surroundings of the film? Like, what were the challenges with that? And can you talk about that?
2: I, can, I kind of like, you know, to immerse the actor, you know, in the real situation. So I had to prep. That's why I spent like almost two years in this country, you know, to find the prison. And they asked me first, you know, the first thing was, you can shoot in studio with actors and stuff. I said, I can't, you know, I need to find the real prison. And I need to find the actors. So as soon as you set up everything, the reality of the story, then Joe came and, and he was facing like 40 like gang members, full of tattoos, not speaking a word of English. So he had to immerse himself and try to feel the same as Billy Moore, the real guy, you know, when he ended up in prison. And, and in the script, you know, he was full of dialogues and stuff. But those guys, they don't speak English. So I said, I need to find a way to change the script to be also more close from the reality. So I say, OK, let's, let's, let's do the first test with Joe. It's going to be to see if we can tell each o- each, a story to each other. So I, I called Joe and with the, the gang members, and I said, OK, you need to tell a story to each other, and you need to use whatever you, you word you know in Thai, or whatever you, word you know in English, or you are a gesture you know, and, and find a way the, with your body to, uh, to tell a story. And I thought it was working. So I said, OK, it's gonna be a, we're going to do like this. And, and when he end up in this prison, yeah, everything was real, kind of. You know? So Joe, we shot only like long shots, sometimes 10 minutes and stuff. So you don't have the artifice of the cinema, kind of. You, know? you don't have the technique, you don't have everything to be like, uh, OK, I'm in my comfort zone, you know. Suddenly you are like in a cell with 40 people and one guy with a camera trying to follow what's going on. And, uh, and some improvisation, but we are working before, in advance, you know, to prep and to rehearse every scene. So I like to immerse the audience in a film, but I like also to immerse the, the the actors. You know, trying to feel it's real and uh, they are not in a movie. So for Joe, it was not easy every day. You know, he had like kind of tough physically, but uh, he's still young and still alive.
1: Did others find uh, I would love to know how you uh, relate to this question as it relates to your own characters, your own actors, your own stories, and that adaptation process?
4: Actually, that's very interesting because I, I could have never spent two years uh, in Kurdistan or whatever. like I'm I guess like the work process is, is very um, personal, and you do what you need to do for yourself to digest and un- understand the story and convey it to the people. Um, and I didn't have uh, time, for example, that I, I was, uh, I'm very impressed that you spent two years. I spent 10 days in Kurdistan. And then what I did afterwards was just try to surround myself with people who knew everything in terms of culture, in terms of, uh, you know, language, in terms of um, the gestures that you have when you're a girl, fighter, because you're not a soldier, you're not an army trained soldier, so you don't hold your gun the same way you don't. Um, you don't run the same way, you don't, you don't have the same um, reflexes, and uh, the only thing that's said uh, is that I was offered as well to uh, shoot in a very dis- different country in Morocco for Kurdish people, and I was like, what? You know, <laughs> like they don't look anything like Kurdish people. They don't speak Kurdish, they speak Arabic. And, you know, you find yourself trying to explain very basic stuff to people uh, that it can't happen like that. So Georgia, um, we got lucky with Georgia because it, it was a country that was uh, peaceful but that had no war. So you had landscapes that, uh, you know, showed the trace of that. And you had a Kurdish community that, uh, you know, we bonded with, we spent months knocking on the doors, uh, because obviously, you know, filmmaking is not even in their world. Uh, It's very, very different from from France. And we sort of um, bonded on a human level. Uh, I didn't speak the same language as as the girls. They spoke Russian and Georgian. Um, But I realized that some, even though I'm trilingual, for example, I, I realized that you can say so much without, Speaking the same language, and it's actually fascinating because you have to find tricks and other things um, that are going to communicate when you need to communicate. Um, but yeah, that's that's you know my the, the difference of approach is, uh, is is interesting. And when when they offered us to shoot in Iraq. Um, You know, the bottom line was that the second we set foot there, uh, Turkey started bombarding. Um, We could not go to that place because there was a gas mustard attack that, you know, um, not killed, but uh, 300 people were hurt. And you literally cannot tell a whole production crew um, that they might just get all killed if they make the movie. Uh, So I wanted a place that still felt the you know the depth of war but at the same time was safe enough for us to to work work, actually
3: i'm going to make jean stefan my production manager (laughs) on the next one he's going to be like listen i've been in touch with the minister of defense and (laughs) and uh, don't don't worry about your client we'll get him in we'll get him in and out real safe and sound we have a helicopter (laughs) um (laughs) uh uh, it's very. If you
2: shoot in it, Afghanistan, or somewhere
3: else. It is. in. It's impressive. You guys are impressive. Uh, seriously, I'm impressed. Um, uh, I think I've spoken enough.
1: <laughs> I don't think anyone needs to hear from me about anything anymore. <laughs> uh, the, the, the last question I want to ask each of you as we wrap up. We're almost out of time. Um, is you've, you've all most, most of you have hinted at next projects, so maybe just share with us uh, what you're working on creatively right now, um, whether it's a new project or whether you're exploring something
2: that you want to share.
1: We'd love to hear it.,
2: uh, I don't know. I'm preparing a film in New York, but I moved to New York 10 years <laughs> ago, so it's, I can say I spent 10 years to prep the film. <laughs> but it's about paramedic 9 one so I'm spending all my nights you know, following ambulance, which I enjoy since for five months, you know. Um, I'm learning about the paramedic, but it's also a way to immerse himself, myself, you know, in this world, trying to recreate because I'm not a paramedic, you know, so I have to learn everything and you face a lot of cases and you go and doing my location scout at the same time, being in an ambulance, you know, and the cast, so I can say, oh, yeah, this patient is great, you know, it would be in a film or this apartment <laughs> is interesting. So, yeah, it's a way to immerse yourself in your story. And leave, you know, what your characters are leaving. So that's the project right now. We are supposed to shoot June. And July. you probably
1: you probably never know from night to night what part of the city you're going to see.
2: No, I mean, the, I think I'm going to shoot more like, uh, because I, I'm working with different hospitals, but I'm going to shoot probably more like uh, bed and Bushwick and East New York. Okay. And uh, trying to... Uh, Thank
4: you. Um, well, when I was writing uh, Girls of the Sun... Uh, it, I, I guess, you know, I, I guess the writing was almost the, the hardest part because I had to rehash all these traumatic stories that these women told me. And I started developing um, skin rashes and I started, you know, not being able to sleep. And, and I just realized how much you cannot dissociate your body from your mind when you make a movie. It really affects you physically, uh, whether you like it or not. And, you know, all of us know how you stop sleeping on a shoot because you're so high on adrenaline. And at the end of the shoot, you're like, you have a depression because you were high on adrenaline and you don't have adrenaline anymore. So I was like, okay, I need to take care of myself, my next project, because otherwise I I just won't be able to make another project. And uh, I was offered a story about... Um, grief, but in a very tender, um, lovely way between um, New York and the UK. And I, you know, I was writing it as I was working on the movie, and it was my safe place that made me feel uh, happy. And now I just finished the script, and hopefully, you know, we're gonna, the next step is prep, etc.
3: I'm, um, I. I'm casting a film called The Brutalist right now, which my wife and I wrote together. Um that's uh not going to be very easy to make. Um but is a sort of chronicle of the experiences of a Hungarian Jewish uh architect who emigrates to uh Philadelphia uh after the war. Um and um who's trying to uh uh, get his wife over to the United States because she's stuck in a displaced persons camp on the uh, Austrian uh, border. Um, and it's about his relationship with his financier. And, um, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's loosely based on, on, on s- some, some personal experiences. And to, get, to come, bring it all the way back around to the veil that, that, that we use to talk about personal experiences. This one is quite direct.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
5: um, <All right. laughs> uh, after exploring like, a, a male physical prison, the, the next project that I'm working on with Brady's wife, Mona Fasvold, um, explore the female psychological prison. Uh, so keeping the, the obsession of imprisonment. But uh, with a mother and three daughters, and she doesn't want the daughters to leave the house.
1: So, this is a week low. <laughs> um, I really want to thank uh, for their time and generosity and information and um, context each of our panelists. Uh, thank you, Jean Siphon. Thank, thank you, you, Eva. Thank you, Brady. Thank, thank you, Eugene. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.